Just like that, the second hour here. Hot Mike rolls on. Colt Nost will be with us, CBS golf analyst, host of the Subpar podcast. He was in Augusta. Chat with him coming up in 20 minutes. Mike Gunzelman, Guns from Outkick. He will be with us as well in hour number three later this afternoon. Chad, we've uh, hit a variety of topics throughout the day. The Big Ten has a new commissioner in Tony Patetti, former, let's see, former CBS TV exec, former exec with Major League Baseball. He was there, was brought in initially by MLB from CBS to launch MLB Network, MLB TV, uh, transpired out of that. And then also he took over for Rob Manfred whenever Manfred became the commissioner in 2015, he took over Manfred's position of COO. The financial background, but also you've got the business background of all things network, digital, and the relationships necessary where the Big Ten is already prospering, but they're going to continue to flourish. Is MLB Network a success? I think MLB Network is far better than NFL Network. I think quality-wise, it's very good. I don't know if it's a financial success. I, 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 don't, I don't know what the viewership's like. I don't know their business and how much money they make. I'm with you. I enjoy a Friday night, you know, after the games are over, yep. turning into that show on MLB Network, just watching highlights where they break into games yeah. live. Yeah. Uh, a Saturday morning, that's a fun show to watch where it's the night before and it gives you a quick two-minute highlight of every game. I think the stuff they do on MLB Network is really good from a quality standpoint. I don't know how well the business does. I do know the business of MLB TV has been really good digitally, so that's encouraging for the future of the Big Ten. It just makes a lot of sense because everything with the business is headed toward either linear television and the con- – it's not headed that way. It's been that way for a while with linear TV. But television broadcast rights – being very lucrative for conferences, mixed with digital streaming rights now. And this is a hire that blends the two from both the TV side and digital side of it and the league side, leading digital and television partnerships. So all in all, I think a really good hire yeah. for, for the Big Ten. Coming off a very successful tenure from Kevin Warren. He completely botched the COVID situation, and he had to – come walking back with his tail between his legs and his head tucked low and admit that he was wrong by restarting the season after canceling it. And presidents and ADs didn't like it. But other than that, he got them in a very good spot with yeah. his latest TV deal. Yeah. That was his gift to the conference Balls on his way on out. Tee, for sure. And he's now the president of the Chicago Bears. I, I, in, in this entire process, I'm surprised of how quiet the Big Ten kept this search. Mm-hmm. Me too. For months. Like, you just don't see that. Uh, and Jim Phillips, I mean, that was the biggest sign that we had was that he was staying with the ACC on a three-year extension. That was announced yesterday. And less than 24 hours later, the news comes down that Patetti's the new commissioner of the Big Ten. I wonder if we're going to hear just months from now, year from now, surprise names that talk to the Big Ten about the opening. Maybe, but also like... Because it was so quiet, we didn't even hear about a lot of people talking with them. Yeah. I wonder if there's going to be some shocks about, yeah, I heard from them about that job, or I interviewed with them or talked to them, and maybe some names that we know that we wouldn't expect to be it in the was, mix. It was so quiet that when Phillips announced that he was staying with the ACC on an extension, no one even said, oh, well, he, he must have been told he's not getting the Big Ten job. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't assumed. I, would, I mean, 
Phillips should have been in the running this, this go-around because he was the runner-up to Kevin Warren, but it wasn't assumed that that was his priority or that the talks were ongoing. The talks were about Clemson and Florida State and the programs that want more of the TV distribution and the money distribution from the grant of rights deal. Chad, you were watching uh, the TV last night when you got home from the game, uh, your game, Evie's game. Yep. And you watched the NBA playoffs, and you saw quite the finish. Quite the finish for LeBron James and the Lakers. And let me say, it is LeBron James and the Lakers. And let me also say, it is LeBron James and the NBA. The NBA is his sidecar. He's the little dude riding in the next the sidecar on the motorcycle with LeBron James going full speed ahead, driving that motorcycle. Um, as much as the PGA Tour, I think for a while, needed Tiger Woods for TV ratings, that's changed now that no one expects much from Tiger post-auto accident. Mm-hmm. As much as that tour needed Tiger Woods and his cachet and his name recognition, if you love or hate LeBron James, doesn't matter. The NBA needs that guy. He is such a superstar, and he carries that league in a lot of ways. The NBA needed the Lakers to win that game. They need them to go on a, a playoff push. That is going to help everyone in that league. LeBron James, I'm looking right now, the release a couple hours ago from this past season. Top 15 jersey sales, NBA. Number one, LeBron James. Number two, Steph Curry. Three, Jason Tatum. Four, Giannis. Five, Luka Doncic. Most viewed players on social media this season. LeBron James, 1.3 billion followers. Steph Curry, second, with 881 million. Luka Doncic, third, 736 million. Social media, jersey sales, talk, controversy with some of the things he says and does. All of these things lead, and his great plays, the all-time leading scorer in the NBA. His great play, his celebrity status, his following, his idea of himself as a social pioneer and a social, social justice pioneer, whether people agree with that or not with LeBron James, all of these things, you put that in the stew and you stir it up, And it shows me a guy that the NBA needs badly for interest. And if they get put out early, that's bad news for the NBA. That's a league that needs LeBron James bad. Love him or hate him. And a lot of sports fans hate LeBron James. Doesn't matter. That league needs him badly. If he goes out, interest in the playoffs go down big time. Just think about what the league as a whole, the, the superstars that truly churn the interest. LeBron, Steph, Durant, right? Yeah. And the age of those players. LeBron's 38. Steph's 35 now. It's hard to believe. 35. And Durant is 34. But when you look at the young superstars, they're still overshadowed by those three in large part. Uh, Giannis, of course, is in that conversation. He's 28 or 29, I believe. But Luka and... Zion, you've got Jason Tatum and Trey Young, who's apparently going to be traded. But then there's John Morant. And that's why everything going on off the court with John Morant is so important. Not, not just with his own life and getting it right, but from a league standpoint. He's young. He is dominant. I mean, he's last year he's getting discussion about MVP for the Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah, he's fourth in uh, NBA social media following John Moran. Yeah, so I mean, that when he's you, eighth in jersey sales. The 
the star power of the league remains those older players. But I don't look at them as aging out because the league treats them like they're 24. I mean, on this list, um, top 15 jersey sales, guys that I would say are young players in the NBA, mm-hmm. the only ones, Luka, um, Devin Booker, John Morant, LaMelo Ball is 11th on this list. Jordan Poole is 15th of the Warriors. That's it. Yeah. Outside of that, it is brand names that have been around for a long time. Damian Lillard, uh, Joel Embiid, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, LeBron James, Giannis. I mean, it's it, it's strangely not a young man's game in the NBA, right? Based on what you would think of that league, not necessarily a young man's game. And it goes back to my initial point that for interest, I'm watching that game and I'm thinking, I'm, I'm not nearly as into this if LeBron James isn't playing for the Lakers in this game. Yeah. Not nearly as into it. And that's whether you root for LeBron James or root against him. And the good news for LeBron James and the NBA is you fall into one of those categories. He's a divisive guy. He's not someone that you, you are impartial with or that you go in thinking. You love or you love to hate. I don't really care. Yeah, you, you've, got a, you've got an opinion on LeBron James. That's good for the league. That's good for anyone to have an opinion on them one way or the other and not be indifferent Chad, about them. That's, you, that's good news for the league. And as long as he's around, I think it's good news for them. You know who else is uh, loved or probably hated overall? Dylan Brooks. Yeah. And the chirping about LeBron and the Lakers and the Grizzlies, <laughs> the Grizzlies' most uh, uh, biggest antagonizer saying, yeah, I'd love to, we'd love to knock LeBron out of the postseason. That's great for the NBA. Here we go again. The storylines there, that see, the series there starts on Sunday. I think that this series is a lot of promise because of John Morant coming back with all of his issues, because Dylan Brooks is not going to stop running his mouth. Yeah. And then LeBron and the Lakers and Anthony Davis and everything else they bring to the table. Um, this, this is great. Dylan Brooks, to me, is Draymond Green, Right? It's just a different iteration of Draymond Green. No one liked Draymond Green the way he talks. They still don't like it. A lot of people don't like it. Some people love him. Most hate him for how honest yes. he is and what he says. Well, and how at times it sounds like he's being a hypocrite. And I think Dylan Brooks is the exact same way, which isn't bad for interest in the league. But here, here's where it ties back into Ja Morant and eyeballs on Memphis. It's Memphis and L.A. The winner gets Sacramento or Golden State. So we could have Memphis against Golden State in a series. Or LeBron against Golden State. But the, the back-and-forth talk all year between the Grizzlies and the Warriors, that's what I want. Yeah. That's, that's, that is where the eyeballs will be. I'll watch. I, I, I'll watch that series for sure. I, I'm going to watch. I'm interested in Grizzlies-Lakers. In part, it, oh, it, yeah. It, for the first thing I said, because LeBron, but also because Dylan Brooks just won't shut up. And I'm here to see what else he's going to say. And it's odd to me, and maybe I'm just uh, not seeing it in the force for the trees thing, but Denver, they have the most pressure as the one seed. They've got the star power. They have the guys healthy. Everybody back. Practice. I mean, this was their year that they've built up for. They've got the one seed. Meanwhile, we're talking Lakers as a seven seed, Warriors as a six and potentially the Grizzlies and Warriors or Grizzlies 
I'm hoping it's not the Kings personally, but we'll see. Or even Lakers Warriors. It's still going through the superstars. And meanwhile, Denver is going through Phoenix or or the Clippers if they advance past Minnesota. I think a ton of interest in a, let's say, Denver, Memphis, Western Conference Finals would be great for the league because of what you're trying to pitch about what's next yeah. in the league. But LeBron James is going to sell in these playoffs. That that will sizzle whoever he's going up against. The, and the Warriors also, I think, will help. The, the, the franchises in the Western Conference trying to win the championship versus the teams that win championships, plural. But you've got the top five seats, Denver, Memphis, Sacramento, Phoenix, Clippers. I mean, plenty of storylines there, yeah. but can the NBA build those storylines? What I want to see, the number one seeds meet in the finals and one of them win it all. Because if a six seed wins it, it further devalues the regular season. Because then yeah. the Warriors and everyone's right. Doesn't matter. Sit your guys. Sit them out whenever you want. Screw the fans who showed up to watch you. Just get in and go win. Doesn't matter, home or away. Go on the road and win these series as six seed. Go to the finals, win a championship. That's all anyone remembers. That's why I want the teams that dominated the regular season to dominate the playoffs also. They are uh, in Atlanta. It's odd timing where the story comes out, but Atlanta advances, and then the news comes out that Trey Young is being shopped. Now, he had a run-in with Nate McMillan earlier in the year. McMillan's no longer their head coach. And it sounds like he got benched. Sounds like Young is the next one out the door. And he's on this list of young star power. And it we could be looking at a rebuild in Atlanta, even though they're in the postseason, to your point about postseason play and what we how we view the regular season. I just don't understand why, if you're the Atlanta Hawks and you've got a star. Why Why do you want to get rid of the star? Yeah, that you drafted. You also fired the coach that he was into it with? That sucked. Like, I mean, make me interested in Atlanta Hawks basketball. Oh, I'll tell you what make me not interested. Trade Trey Young away <laughs> for draft picks. That That's a surefire way to make me care even less about the Atlanta Hawks, which I honestly didn't think was possible. I did. I like until just now. A, a, what of what the responses you have was well, maybe the report's not true. <laughs> the report could also just not be true. Was it Shaq that said, you know, I'm not here to learn the roster of the Sacramento Kings? <laughs> Remember that he's like an NBA expert, but he said, I just don't care. He didn't know like a, a star, a really good role player in the league. Who was it? It was the Raptors. It was uh, the player from Gonzaga. Or no, no. That was the Wizards. It was Hachimura. Oh. He didn't even know who it was. And they were making fun of him. And he's like, I, it's not, I'm not here to learn the Wizards. And they're not going to be let talking me, about Let what? me say that everyone else in America is saying, I'm not here to learn the Trey Young-less Atlanta Hawks. That's pretty much how everyone will feel if they trade him away. Or, I mean, they're Ru- not. Rui Hachimura was the player that was. They're not like, learning six, I don't of the, six of the eight seeds right now, Chad, in the Western Conference. Which I love the honesty from Shaq that here is inside the NBA analyst saying, yeah, I'm not here to study the Washington Wizards roster. Same. I'm not looking at their depth right now. Colt Nost is coming up. We switch gears. We recap Augusta from a man that walked the course, was a part of the CBS sports coverage of the Masters and plenty of behind the scenes talk and stories coming from one of the best podcasts out there, the Subpar Podcast host, Colt Nose with us next on Hot Mike.
Hot mic rolls on. Chad, it, this was predictable, I feel like. Jeff Bezos doesn't plan on making a bid for the Washington Commanders. That coming from Mike Florio. Sorry, Danny. You're going to have to stick with the $6 billion offer that you already got. Uh, tough news for you, I know. Really bad break for Dan Snyder. I mean, he's not going to be... I didn't think he was going to sell it to him anyway. But he's not going to be trolled, is what this sounds like. And well, right now, your, there is one offer on theory, the table from Josh Harris. Your theory is the one, I believe. And that is, he's holding out for the Seattle Seahawks. If he's going to own an NFL team, it's not going to be Dan Snyder's team. He wants he His base is in Seattle. It would make a lot more sense. I, know, I understand he owns the Washington Post also, but I, I feel like it's going to be the Seahawks. Colt Nost with us, subpar podcast, CBS Sports. Not a subpar guest, golf. though. No, no, no. Not Absolutely for us. Not. Does not do subpar work either. Colt, good to see you, man. Hope things are well. Hey, guys. Great to see you. Thanks for having me on again. Um, obviously, things are great. Busy week last week, but ready to get going here in Hilton Head again this week. Best behind-the-scenes chat, story, whatever it might be from the Masters last weekend. Oh, boy. Uh, there was a lot. It was a f- very fun week. Um, not sure if y'all have heard of T-Bones there in Augusta, Georgia. Very popular hangout spot. But if you came by there on the weekend, you could have caught me and Smiley Kaufman DJing there and uh, entertaining the people and having a good time. So that was a pretty fun one if you had a chance to come by T-Bones. So we always talk about the amazing week for Jim Nance. You know, this was his last Final Four, but he goes Final Four for CBS and then goes to Augusta and he's got the masters all weekend. What is this transition week like from Augusta to right up the road to Hilton head? If you're covering both events for both players and for media members, you know, it's interesting. It's obviously a very easy drive just to come up a little over two hours to get here. Last week is there is so hectic. There's so much going on. It's a major championship. Obviously it's the masters, one of the biggest sporting events in the world. And then you come here to the RBC Heritage, which is much more laid back, low key, super fun golf course, awesome vibe. I mean, the community really gets behind it, but now it's a designated event. So all the big boys are in town. The field's the best it's ever been. Um, You know, it's interesting. It was a little quiet out there. I thought today, I think guys are still trying to get their legs under them and rest a little bit. But I think once the bell goes off tomorrow, um, it'll be all systems go and I expect a great tournament. You know, there's a lot of speculation about how CBS would handle uh, if a live player was in contention and is there going to be a lot of problems with live players and PGA players. And we had Scott Stallings on the show a couple times, Colt, and he said it's, it's, it's overblown that players aren't really talking about it as much and there's not this huge bit of animosity between the two. Has that been your understanding from talking to guys and covering the sport also that at least it seems like now things have smoothed over a bit from a year ago. Yeah, listen, I, I didn't hear one negative comment or anything to do with a live player or a PGA Tour player. Um, I thought everything went great. I thought all the networks showed all the golfers very fairly. Obviously, Brooks Kepka being in the lead most of the week, he's going to be a central part of the coverage. Bill Mickelson making a late charge on Sunday was a big part of the coverage. Um you know, yeah, I, I agree. I think the media you know, kind of hypes it up a little bit. Honestly, in the media, you want like that rivalry thing. You you would like some animosity, but it's not there. They're golfers. I think golf's different than other sports. But I will say, you know, I think this really 
I would we 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 look forward to the last three major championships of the year a lot more now because these live guys got in the mix and made it very entertaining. Um, you know, I'm I'm not the biggest fan of live. I don't think it's quite what it's. I don't think you can compare it to the PGA Tour. But it was good to see those guys get back in there. I I said at the start of the week, Brooks Kepka coming off a win and finally being back to being almost 100% healthy, if if not 100% healthy, that he could be a problem at the Masters just because he he takes his game to another level at major championships, and we saw that again last week. Cole, how well-liked is John Rahm by the players and the, the tour? And what, what allows him to be so consistent in the toughest conditions, which he certainly faced, and the toughest courses where it's predictable that he's going to be atop the leaderboard? Well, he, he has zero weaknesses. That's one. I mean, he's good at every aspect of the game, which is why he's the number one player in the world. Uh, he's an extremely tough competitor, no matter if he's playing on the PGA Tour or major championship at home at Silverleaf for Whisperock. Um, he wants to rip your throat out. That's just how he is. That's what makes him one of the greats. Uh, but at the same time, off the golf course, he is so kind and caring and a joy to be around. You know, he's one, he's, he's easy to root for, but he's, he's one of those guys. I feel like even when some of the other best players in the world get in the same group as him or see his name moving up the leaderboard, they know, okay, this, this is going to be a problem. You know, he's not going to just go away. Uh, very rarely do we see him play poorly. He's already got four wins this year and made over $13 million in 2023. It's crazy. Uh, he, he's one of the hardest workers I've ever seen. He's extremely strong, spends a lot of time in the gym. Um, I was out, out there with him on the pro, uh, during the Pro-Am today for the RBC Heritage. Uh, obviously very tired, but very excited at the same time. And I, he, I think one more good night's sleep and he'll be ready to go. Wouldn't be surprised to see him play well again this week. Is Kepka back? Is the major, the major version of Kepka back versus, uh, versus what we've seen in recent years? It's so hard to say. Like My opinion of this is Brooks Kepka gets up for the biggest moments. You know, he, when he was on the PGA tour, he said the other events just don't get his attention that much. It's all about the majors for him. And that's why he didn't win that many times outside of major championships. Now you look at WM Phoenix open where it's a ton of people. One of the biggest crowds you see in the game of golf that got him excited and, and he got going and he played well and he's won there a couple of times, you know, lives a little more laid back atmosphere. You got the shorts, you got the shotgun start 54 holes, no cut. I, I don't know if that triggers Brooks Kepka's mind to, to really, really compete. That's just my opinion. I don't know. He might treat it the same way he does a major championship. I'm not sure. But what we saw last week at the Masters, the Brooks Kepka of old, where he went on that crazy major major run, and it sure looks like he's back. I mean, his game looked fantastic. The health the last two years has been the biggest thing for him. Um, he was, I don't know, I don't want to speculate on what percentage his body was at, but it definitely, he was in a lot of discomfort trying to play golf. And this last week, he looked great. He just didn't get the job done on Sunday. Speaking of percentage someone's body's at playing golf, did you see the video of Tiger Woods? And what did you make of his withdrawal from the from the tournament? And there's all this talk, you know, because his caddy said, hey, if we could ride in a golf cart, he'd be able to win another major. To which me, I'm like, well, let's put him in a golf cart because I want to see Tiger win another major. But Tiger's adamant that's never going to happen, right? It won't. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm with Tiger on that. You know, he believes that walking is part of the game like most guys do out there. And as great as Tiger Woods is, as much as he's done for the game, yeah, I, I don't think a player would complain if he got in a cart, but Tiger will never do it. You know, all the physical tools are there, but he's got to have the perfect storm almost work out for him to win a major, I think. 
when we saw the forecast earlier in the week, we knew he was in trouble just because the body doesn't work the way he wants it to when it gets cold. You know, he needs it to be 85, 90 degrees. And that's why I'm a little concerned about Oak Hill up in New York here in just a few weeks for the PGA. Like it could be very cold up there. And then you go to LA Country Club where the weather should be perfect for the US Open, but it's a brutal walk. Um, you know, it's up there, not quite as hard as Augusta National as far as a walk, I would say, but it's not the easiest. He needs someplace very flat. Um, but and then you go to the open championship and you never know what could happen there. It could be freezing, it could be hot, but it's it's tough. That was tough to watch. You know, when he made the double bogey on 15 and 16 in the third round, and it looked like he could barely get the ball out of the hole on 16. I it's one of those ones. That, I just, I don't, I don't understand why he keeps doing it to himself. Like if you can't win when he made the cut on the number, I was almost like, okay, does he really need to stick around in this brutal weather knowing that he can't win? I know he he's not a quitter. He never wants to pack it in, but when it's 48 degrees, wind chill of 42 raining sideways and you're 14 shots back, it's like, man, you, you have nothing to prove. He, he proves he's smart by putting on rain gear. Uh, J- Chad and I <laughs> were uh, joking yesterday. How many players just, refused to put on gear and just played in the pouring rain and then the the cold too that was the other part of it uh why if do they, you can how do they not get sick let's start there well they probably do oh i i know i i got a little under the weather the weather down there but uh, if you could make comfortable rain gear you would be a billionaire i mean it, it's just rain gear is so brutal i'm, I'm not a big fan of playing in it uh, i'm kind of like them I, I put it on in between shots and then take it off because I want to be comfortable while I try to swing. I love, uh, it's just I, never. I love keeping the ball dry, but not the player dry. That was. That yeah, was exactly. That's, <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, and I'm at the point now, too, where I quit. So I don't play in the rain. That's a rule. <laughs> if it rains, I'm out. Do the more but fashion those, forward players, Colt, like want to get want to accessorize a little more. They're getting all this gear from their there. sponsors. Right. So it's like, hey, here's my chance to wear my rain suit that they provided for me. Yeah, they just the rain gear sucks though. I I just I've never been a fan of it. Never can get it comfortable. But you know what? It is what it is. Those conditions were brutal. I felt so bad for the guys that got on the wrong side of the wave there. You know, Justin Thomas. There you go, showing Justin right there, uh, hitting his drive two hundred thirty-eight yards up the eighteenth during that second round and hitting a wood. I mean, these guys normally hit eight, nine, possibly wedge into that hole. That was just crazy, and we saw a lot of things we're not used to seeing short drives, you know, long, long clubs going into those greens and it just played extremely difficult. I mean, when's the last time you think Justin Thomas shot 42 on nine holes of golf? Yeah. We, we were chatting with Scott Stallings uh, earlier, Colt, and uh, he was telling us just how quick and, and how surprised he was, even for Augusta, they were able to turn over the course. Uh, 12 tee box, he said, was just chewed up and they completely sodded it overnight and you couldn't even tell the new sod was down. And then the trees, how quickly... They got the trees off the tee box at 17, and the fact you couldn't even say, including the fact that he he believes they they made a bench out of the wood, and it was at the first tee the next day. I mean, nothing they do surprises me. The place is magical. Uh, you know, I walked around on Sunday, and after all the rain, it really didn't even feel that wet at all. I know they have sub air and everything, but you think there would be certain spots where there might be a puddle here or a puddle there with because of all the rain. No, it's gone. Uh, the place is immaculate. You never see a piece of trash on the ground or a piece of grass out of place. Uh, there's nothing like it. Uh, so w- with what Scott Stalling said, I wouldn't be one bit surprised if that actually did happen. Colt, can you tell us a story about the bet you placed with Phil Mickelson uh, on John Rom back in the day? And, and then what has happened since that bet was made? 
I'll tell you what, this story is coming around a lot more now since he won the, the Masters. I've shared it a couple times, but um, I believe back it was 2016, John Rahm had just turned pro in May, right after the NCAAs. was starting to play on some sponsors' exemptions on the PGA Tour. And I was sitting around with Phil Mickelson one day uh, during a rain delay in Memphis. And we were talking about John Rahm and how he'd recently played with him at Whisperock. And John went out and shot 62 and just dusted Phil. And he said, I think this kid's a top 10 player in the world right now. I said, that's a pretty aggressive statement considering he has no status on any tour. And he said, well, I'll make you a bet. And I'm not going to give you all the terms, but he said, I'll give you some. He said, give me some odds. And one year from today, John Rahm will be in the top 10 in the official world golf rankings. And I said, well, that doesn't seem very smart to me considering he has no tour card. He's got to play on sponsor exemptions. If he plays bad at those, he's got to go to Q school. If he ends up having to play a year on the corn Ferry tour, you're dead. You're not, you have no chance of winning. He goes, I agree, but I'm willing to make this bet. And damn it. He was right. Unfortunately. And, um, <laughs> I, I paid up and, you know, John knows about the story. He thinks it's funny. It's, uh, you know, it, it sucked at the time to have to pay Phil what I did, but you know, now it's a great story that I will, uh, will always have about the, one of the best players we've ever seen play the game. Based on reports, maybe one of the few good bets that Phil Mickelson made <laughs> over the last 15, 20 years. I will, I will tell you this. I, I root for John Rom. I, I, I'm a big fan of John Rom. That was the year he won at Torrey Pines for the first time. And he made the, you know, 50 footer coming down the hill for Eagle on the last to wrap it up. And I was at a bar in Scottsdale with some buddies and as loud as the music was when that putt went in, I think I yelled louder than the music. <laughs> I was like, you've got to be kidding me that that just happened because I knew I was in trouble if he happened to win. Do you think we've, uh, ju we're just now seeing the start of Sam Bennett or is this a story we look back on five years from now and say, boy, that was cool. But you know, maybe he hasn't done as much since then, or is, does this guy have a really good future? He's a gamer, man. He's fun to watch. I, I covered the USAM for golf channel last year. So I got to spend a lot of time with him. Super nice kid, you know, doesn't do anything like really flashy. He even said like my golf swing's not the prettiest. He just knows how to play the game. It seems like uh, he's not scared of the big moment. I was shocked after the second round when he said, I don't think I'm going to be nervous tomorrow. I'm like, how the hell are you not nervous? I'm nervous for you. And I'm not even having to hit any of the shots, but that was an impressive week. I know it's not what he wanted on the weekend. And it would have been so cool if he could have finished in that top 12. So he got in next year, but listen, this kid seems to have a lot of game. Um, you don't get to where you are in the, in the world amateur rankings. You don't win the USAM. Um, you don't be in the final group of the third round of the masters. If you don't have a lot of game. So I'm excited to see what his future holds. I know he's, he's, he's doing just fine, but is he too young to realize the money that he missed out on based on his amateur status? I mean, he, I thought he was going to turn pro probably after the masters anyway, but he is big into the, going and winning a national championship with his teammates at Texas A&M. He's focused on that with NIL money as well. Like, listen, I think he's going to get at least a little something out of there, but uh, he'll be, he'll be pro here pretty shortly. I would imagine. Go to uh, song as the DJ at T-Bone. You know, anything country that yeah. gets the, gets the place going. I'll say that Toby Keith should have been a cowboy. Got the place <laughs> rocking pretty nice. Just everyone was singing along. Colin Baton Rouge, anything Garth Brooks. Um, it was a blast. T-Bones was a good host for us. I cannot believe they let us do it. Uh, but shout out. See you next year. Uh, maybe I can get a little paid DJ set next year. See, the only, we've been a couple times. The only place I know to go in Augusta is the Hooters. Uh, right there that's on the street. The like that's where everyone goes. I didn't know T-Bones was a hot spot. Well, the food's way better at T-Bones. It's no, no doubt about it. Then the bar scene's pretty good. And then, you know, 
you sweet talk them enough, and if they like you enough, maybe they'll hand you the iPad and let you DJ a little bit. They don't want that from Chatterai. They, we, no. You can keep it. You can keep it. Cold. We'll probably bring the the mood down a little bit. We won't. We won't be learning to rope and ride like Toby Keith sing. It'll you know take it down a little bit. So I mean, that, y'all are the in right Nashville. With you. Yeah, you're in Nashville. You know, I mean, you can probably guess what I was playing. Obviously, anything yeah. Morgan Wallen was rather popular. No yeah, doubt. It's basically what we hear by the from the band out here every Friday at Six and Peabody was probably what you were playing, and that's just them taking requests from the crowd. And then getting them going. <laughs> I noticed uh, during the rain uh, delays, the short rain delays in some cases, CBS and, and ESPN as well, trying to grab, I'm assuming grabbing some of the uh, NFL players or whoever it may be that were on the course. What was it like from your vantage point with uh, the coverage that you were hosting and, and just trying to jump back and forth between what the weather was allowing you to do? See, well, I got very fortunate since I was with the featured groups there on masters.com and ESPN+. Plus. I was in the morning. I never really had to deal with any of the delays. Oh, good. Basically. So I, so I got pretty lucky, but I tell you what, it was a scene last week. That was one of the most anticipated masters. The people that were there running into, you know, Josh Allen, Travis Kelsey, um, ran into Sam Darnold, you know, a number of musicians, all kinds of different people. I saw Nick Jonas walking the fairways <laughs> out there. It's, it's pretty cool. It's one of those places where it doesn't really matter who you are. You can just go because there's no cell phones. No one's going to be stopping and asking you for pictures. You just get to go out there and enjoy the golf. It's a really special week. It is exactly the setting that they would love. That anyone would love really. Uh, but that's exactly right. They are walking around and they can do whatever they want. Yeah. You walk by and you're like, wow, that's Josh Allen. <laughs> and that's it. He's gone. See ya. Yeah, I'm going to go get my dollar 50 sandwich and I'll let Josh yeah, Allen keep yeah. walking. Yeah. Hey, Colt, thank you as always, man. We love the podcast. Great work on the, the featured rounds as well. We're watching here in studio and, and throughout the morning here in Nashville from last weekend. And look forward to everything going on in Hilton Ted this weekend. You got it. Thanks, guys. Yeah, Have man. a great week. Thanks, always, Colt. Always love coming on. Thank Same. you. Same, Colt Nost. Uh, the uh, subpar podcast is a must. Big week for Nick Jonas. They were the musical guest on SNL Saturday night also. So oh, really? down at the Masters for the weekend and flying up to New York, and he's with Jonas Brothers uh, that night. Tad is very consistent on SNL. I'm, I'm really not. I only watch because Molly Shannon hosted, and I like to watch when former cast members yeah. host. So I tuned in for that. There's some that. funny stuff on it. Okay. Some of it not so much, but you know there there are a few good good things. I miss the days of Molly Shannon some, and the the cast. Some choice nugs, as some might say, on the <laughs> on the show. Uh, the new Jonas Brothers song, not digging it. Okay, I don't really celebrate their entire catalog not or surprised. anything. I can't tell you a lot of their old stuff, but I can tell you the new stuff is not good. Uh, hit us up on social. You can also do it at YouTube by subscribing to the Outkick channel. When we come back, we'll discuss a player that has asked for a trade and another player who's expected to be traded but we just haven't seen it yet. I'm not talking about Aaron Rodgers. That's next on Hotline. Hot Mike rolls on. Mike Gunzelman from OutKick will be in studio with us in hour number three. Looking forward to that in about 30 minutes. Guns always brings it. And we'll... Uh, Good energy guy. We'll have great conversations uh, from High what energy. he's written about. Also, like, spoiler alerts with... that The 
the expectation of spoiler alerts for certain shows. I'm not even watching the show I'm thinking of. Chad is. Succession. And I know what happened based on what I saw on social media. Yes. And that's I, what we'll discuss. I We'll get into this with guns, but if I know someone watches the show that I watch yeah. and they didn't see it the night something big happened and I did, I it, it's irrational. I should not get mad at them if they had something going on or just didn't watch it that night. But when I show up the next day, Ryan Albanese, who was in here, watched the show, had not seen the episode. And, and I was a little chat bit pissed off with him because I'm thinking, <laughs> how can we not talk about this now? Because then I was like, okay, well, I'm probably not going to see him for you know two or three more weeks. But yeah. once you watch it, let's talk about it. Because I really want to talk about it now that I've announced I've seen it. And then you haven't, and then I'm disappointed. So that's we end up there also sometimes. Where I feel like if you're really into a show like that, Succession is, for those who have followed it from the beginning, that is a Sunday night watch. Like, I don't, if you start it at 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night, you don't have to watch it live, yeah, but, it's but a, you need to get through it on Sunday, Sunday night, and then, so you can talk about it the next day with people that may have watched it via group text or in person. So, I think there's different levels of shows that we'll get into with him Chad, on whether or not you can spoil it. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have performed financial surgery on their roster this offseason. Yes. They, they entered the offseason $55 million, I believe, over the cap. And they've had to get down to where they are within the legal confines of the salary cap going into the offseason for the new league year. What they've done is they had to uh, get rid of Donovan Smith, Leonard Fournette, uh, Cameron Brait at tight end, Ryan Suckup at kicker. They've had to trim off the, the financial constraints. But they've also had to restructure. They have restructured deals for long-term player, long-term contracted players, Chris Godwin, Vita Vea, Carlton Davis, Ryan Jensen, Russell Gage, uh, he also agreed to a pay cut, and they've also had to part ways with other members of a draft class that Devin White is a part of. Devin White, star linebacker there, and they picked up his fifth-year option. They picked up a guarantee of $11.7 million on that fifth-year option. He wants a contract extension. And he has also said uh, on social media, hey, it's been a great four years. Reports are he wants to be traded. And he put out on social, four years went by fast, thank you, along with the pirate flag and a peace emoji. This situation reminds me a lot of the Jeffrey Simmons situation last year. Solid player, among the best at what he does. And the Titans didn't have the, the cap space to make any type of move for a contract extension. And A.J. Brown demanded a trade because he wasn't going to get paid. Jeffrey Simmons didn't. And then they get to a point this past week where... A year later. They agree to a, a massive deal. He's now the second highest paid player for his position, second only to Aaron Donald. And... He played ball literally and figuratively with Tennessee, meaning he didn't hold out, although he missed two practices in the meaningless uh, mandatory minicamp for his position, I'm saying, for his status. He had a, a stay-in. He didn't come out for practice. And then he played through injury despite not getting the contract extension prior to the start of the year. And he had the comment about how the Titans told him it was, they were going to have to find the money. They didn't have the money to, to pay him now. Well, they paid him the following offseason. And the Bucs don't want to trade him. They're saying that. 
But Devin White saying, give me the contract extension or, or we're not. I'm not pleased with that. Trade me. He could be a piece in the draft that gets moved. Could be. It's always fascinating when you have really good players on teams that could be really bad. And Tampa Bay now could be really bad. Yes. In the spot they're in. Probably should be really bad. And then how you manage those assets. Because Devin White is obviously still young enough and he's good enough to where he could be a pivotal piece in the next Super Bowl run for Tampa Bay three, four, five years from now. But if you have a valuable piece and you know you're bad already, what's the value in moving that piece to get more future considerations for what you're trying to build? As opposed to holding on to a really good player because here you have a really good player that you brought in, that you developed, that could be a good player for you for a long time. Those are tough decisions. Yeah. And because brought, you don't want to just get rid of every good player you have. Right. But you also look at it if your eyes are wide open saying, well, what's the use of paying top dollar in extension for this player if for the first two years of this, we're going to be in a desperate search for the next quarterback? That's going to lead this franchise. Well, they've got Baker, right? So I'm looking, again, I, I know what you're saying. Yeah, that's not the guy who's going to lead them they, to the next Super could Bowl. Could they also make a move? Could they be a surprise team to make a move for one of these quarterbacks? I haven't heard anything on them. No, you're right. And, I mean, Baker Mayfield is great, but he was available and no one picked up the phone and no one really made it happen last year. And he's, he has a starting opportunity. That's what he wanted. Starting opportunity doesn't mean QB1, you're the guy. It means you're competing for the job. And look at the quarterbacks in that division. Oh, they, yeah. I mean, point. we haven't even mentioned this team, but what if Lamar Jackson now is suddenly with Tampa Bay? Tampa, again, they, are, they need to go rookie because they don't have the cap space. Yeah. That's the problem. Well, I'm saying just theoretically, right, if, yeah. if, if Devin White was a part of a deal and they dumped a lot of their salary... And Lamar Jackson, it's Desmond Ritter in Atlanta. Yeah. It's going to be whatever rookie they take in Carolina. Mm -hmm. It's um, New Orleans with, with Carr. With Carr. Derek Carr in New Orleans. And then Baker Mayfield right now with uh, Kyle Which Trask. Which would become Lamar Jackson. Yeah. Kyle Trask and Mayfield, the two QBs That's a in Tampa. Brutal division. Yeah. But it was last year, too. Yep. Um, also brutal for the Arizona Cardinals. DeAndre Hopkins. They want to trade him. They want to move him. But the contract itself is preventing that. And unlike other big trades, the fear is the contract is going to hold back Hopkins when it comes to NFL draft night. But, Chad, I, I realize he hasn't played a ton over the last two years. Part of it due to the failed performance uh, drug test. He missed six games to start the year. But when he's on the field, they are a different team. And I can't help but think what he could mean to any he makes with a, a young quarterback. Yes. He completely transforms an offense. I mean, I look at him similar to A.J. Brown. When the Titans traded him away to the Eagles, it made the Eagles a much better offense, made the Titans a much worse offense. DeAndre Hopkins is that type of guy. He's going to make a huge impact if he lands somewhere else or if he's eligible and healthy and hey. playing with the Cardinals, makes a big impact on them. No doubt. And he's... Jonathan Gannon has said, hey, we look forward to welcoming Hopkins whenever he's ready. Well, 
he's ready as long as Arizona's going to pay up. And right now they're going to have to based on the contract that they gave him whenever they traded for him from Houston. Coming up, the Big Ten has a new commissioner. Our thoughts on his impact next.